it is great to be with you guys. Uh, let me pray, and then we will uh, we'll go through this. I know the the order of today is that I'm going to speak. I think there may be some other conversation at the table, so I'm glad the tables are situated the way they are, and then there'll be a Q&A. So um, I don't necessarily care if, like, you are burning on something while I'm talking. This is a small enough group that if you, got, if you want to raise your hand, go for it, and we can just begin to have a conversation. I think we just know we have to be out of here in about an hour. So let me pray. Father, I just ask you uh, for the Spirit of God to work through us and make us attentive to the things you want to make us attentive to. I thank you, Lord, that you are a personal God and you want to speak to us individually, but you're also speaking to us together. And so I pray that we would sharpen each other uh, this morning, and I pray that you would just um, continually be making us more and more into the image of Jesus, for that's what we desire, is to experience the abundant life in Christ that you promised, and for others to see um, the light and love of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So here's uh, my plan this morning. Some of you all know this, some of you don't, but um, the person that was probably the most influential, certainly the most influential person in my leadership development passed away about three weeks ago. His name's Tom Schrader. And so this could have personal elements. I have to say this up front. Um, if I get emotional, that's the reason um, in the midst of it, because there's nothing that I'm going to share today that almost isn't verbatim what he gave me um, in essence. And this would have been what I would have shared if it were a month ago and he were still alive. So uh, I've known that I was going to do this for a while and this has been the plan. So the idea of this is really to speak about in, in a biblical terminology. There's kind of this idea of how Paul was pouring into people and one of the most classic examples of that is Paul pouring in to Timothy. Uh, one of the challenges in communicating like that, especially for the women in the room, is these are all as applicable. And it's the reality of how human beings are formed in human relationships. That's, um, in essence, the idea. And I really want to, I think if we get into the idea of leadership development separated from discipleship, but if discipleship's ever separated from love, you're totally missing the whole point. Like, that is the whole game of what this is, is people loving each other in the way of Christ, and that is essentially what develops leaders from, I think, a Christ-like perspective. And I just want to start with this passage. Um, in, the, in the book of Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5, he starts out in verse 1, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, it's so interesting when we get to things like leadership development or church ministry, how tactical so often gatherings like this will be. So it's, it's the tactical of what's right and what's wrong. So in this setting, he's saying, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he begins to talk about circumcision, that there's all this controversy around what's right and wrong. And, you know, there was controversy around, should Timothy be circumcised? Should he not be circumcised? Why? What's going on? So everybody's focusing on things. And when we focus on things, most oftentimes when you make things the main thing, you miss people, which is the whole point. So he goes through this whole thing. He says, listen, folks, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So then he gets into this whole circumcision thing. If you want to cir accept circumcision, you've got to accept the whole law. But this is the point I wanted to 
say to you, verse 6 in chapter 5. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. What counts is faith working through love. Faith working through love. So that's the context I want to get at this. So here's what I'll say. When we think about leadership development or pouring into somebody or being poured into, essentially what this is, is we're talking about a lifelong relationship in which I think many of us in here are leading in different capacities. So you're going to view this through the lens of pouring into other people. But it's a lifelong relationship in which, I'll use the term mentor, helps the protege reach her or his God-given potential. Let me just say that again because some of you love definitions. A lifelong relationship in which the mentor, so this is what mentoring or leadership development is, a lifelong relationship in which the mentor helps the protege reach her or his God-given potential. We had the memorial service for Tom this past Saturday, and one thing that struck me so much, no one was scripted, like nobody was told what to say, but so oftentimes what people said about Tom is how much he influenced them without a curriculum. Like it wasn't, and and the reason I bring that up now is so many of us would think like, well, what do you use for leadership development? What's the context and what's the curriculum? And those things are not unimportant, but they're not the most important. The most important is a lifelong relationship in which you are saying, holy, not what do I get out of this? The minute leadership development turns into, I'm trying to prepare you to accomplish my vision, that's not real leadership development. Real leadership development is I'm pouring myself out on behalf of you to help you reach your God-given potential, right? So it's me You could say it this way, biblically. I'm going to die in order that you might be exalted. I'm going to consider the needs of you as more significant than my own. I'm going to seek your peace and prosperity because when you rise in your welfare, I'll find my welfare. It's a constant theme consistently throughout the Bible, but it's relational. So I'm going to kind of present... um, an idea of if you are one pouring into somebody else, kind of wisdom from that level, and then if you're being poured into. Does that make sense? So kind of wisdom, if you're thinking about, I'm kind of in a Paul position here pouring into somebody, or I'm in a Timothy position being poured into uh, is kind of the idea. So in focusing on the main thing, I have to say this quote because it's a phenomenal quote, and I use it a lot when I'm talking uh, to leaders. But John Maxwell, who's kind of a leadership guru, right? You guys all heard of the name John Maxwell? Has this great quote um, where he says, You cannot overestimate the underimportance of nearly everything. So I'll just tell you a Tomism. He would say to me all the time, Tyler, none of this crap matters. <laughs> And by which he meant, you walk into all these meetings and everybody's talking about leadership and everybody's talking about this and they're all talking about the tactical realities. Like, none of this crap matters. Like, none of it. So basically, they're overestimating the under, you can't, they're overestimating the importance of something. John Maxwell's saying, you can't overestimate the underimportance of nearly everything. But what is massively important is that you lock eye to eye with the people you're around, you're willing to touch them, and you're willing to love them. That matters and lasts. So Tom would always say, like, what matters in the end is faith, family, and friends. And I remember when I first heard that, I'm this young buck coming up, I'm like, that is so trite. It sounds like 
a Christian Hallmark card, like, come on. And then you do ministry your whole life. You get to the end. You listen to people that really know, like the Bible says, people with gray hair. And they're like, let me tell you what matters. Like faith in Jesus, your family, and your friends. That's what, and the point of that is relationships is what matters. So here's a couple, uh, more than a couple. I'm going to try to get through. I've written down 13 things. And I, I have to say this again, give credit where credit's due who I said poured into me has given me almost all of this. So here's the first thing. The primary call on your life is not leadership development or mentoring or discipleship, but it's intimacy with Christ. So intimacy always trumps ministry, always. You have no ministry if you have no intimacy with Christ. And this is follow me as I follow Christ. This is Jesus saying in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. So I would just say this to both, whatever role you're sitting in, pray for the eyes to follow those who are actually intimate with Jesus. If you want to be poured into, or you're wanting to pour into somebody, the only thing you have to offer is Christ is your union with Christ of any substantial value. And if you're saying, I want to be poured into, regardless of the role they hold, right? Get around people that you know know Jesus. And it will, by sheer relationship, um, affect you. All right. Now we're going to get a little more tactical. So your desire to develop leaders, which my sense is if you're in this room around this topic, this is why you show up. Your desire to develop leaders with the intention of developing them, which means, this is so important, which means to transition power and authority. The only reason you would do leadership development and call it leadership is that you actually give them leadership, which may already get it. The point of this was this statement, the primary call, I'm sorry, your desire to develop leaders with the intention of transitioning in power and authority must be genuine. So if in the end, your desire to, to get them into a place of having power and having authority is for your purposes at the end of the day, which means there has to be a lot of self-examination, it's not real leadership development. It just isn't. So if you look at even Paul and Timothy, there was this constant sense of he knew the generational transitions of the gospel, that this is going to go on for a long time. And generational transition happens, period. The question is, how is it happening? Your desire to be intentional about it has to be genuine. You must own it. So now, all of us are still being poured into. So here's the other side of that, if you're being poured into, if you're a Timothy, if you will. The willingness of leaders to invest in you is rare. If you have people that are willing to invest in you, it's very rare. Don't take it for granted. Be grateful. So to the Paul, it's be genuine. To the Timothy, it's be grateful. The heart on gratitude, the heart of Paul's theology has been argued, and we, we talk about this a lot, where we are, is thanksgiving. You see it all over. Paul talks about, I'm giving thanks, I'm giving thanks, I'm giving thanks. So if you're a Paul, be genuine. If you're a Timothy and you're having someone pour into you, be grateful. Here's the next one. What you have to give, the only thing you have to give is your real self, your real story, and your real knowledge. Let me pause on this because I'm going to extend this. So if you're pouring into people, don't speak beyond your experience. 
there's a tendency when you do leadership development that you want to act like you're way more of an expert than you actually are. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. Just give them your real self. Give them your real story. Give them your real knowledge. Henry Nouwen has this great line where he says, that which is personal is always the most general. So when you're ministering in a room, even like this, the hard part about getting up here is like, how do I speak to all of you individually, right? Like you all have different stories. You all have different. The best way to make what I'm saying the most general, meaning it speak to all of you, is for me to speak at my most personal level. That's true in leadership development. That's true in mentoring. That's true in preaching, public speaking. Like that which is personal is always the most general. So what you have to give is the real you, your real story. I'm going to emphasize this again, your real knowledge. Don't act smarter than you are. If they ask you a question, one of the best ways to model is go, I have no idea. Like, I honestly, I don't have that information, or I'm not an expert on that, or to, to show them how to do research or how to develop other relationships. So here's the other part of being poured into. The only you God can change is the real you. So if you're being poured into, you have to do the same thing. Bring your real self, bring your real story, bring your real knowledge. So be as stupid as you really are, right? We say that. So the only you God can change is the real you. So be yourself. That was one of the, by far, the best lessons I learned from Tom. He was himself, and he really encouraged people that. So here's the next thing. Um, if you're pouring into people, realize that leaders come in all shapes and all sizes. God didn't make people the same. So leaders, the tendency in leadership is to go, well, leaders look like blank. They don't. Leaders come in all shapes and all sizes. There's not a single successful leadership style. Don't mimic and be yourself. There is not a single successful leadership style. Don't mimic, be yourself. So this is another line we use a lot is that fairness is treating everybody differently. So I'm not presuming all of you know, but redemption, the church that I'm a part of is, it's a multi-congregational in its structure and based upon its history and its development, leadership development's a really, really big deal. And so even what Tom displayed and what was told of him is how much he let people be themselves. So if you had a guy who was a bull in the china shop, if you had another somebody that else was really highly idealistic or somebody else that was highly organized, kind of German-Swiss in their mentality, like he'd make fun of you about it, but he let you be and would encourage you to be that. And it was, he was so himself, he was impossible to copy. I mean, it would have been the most foolish thing in the world to try to talk like Tom, to try to walk like Tom. Nobody wanted to look like Tom. So it was just like, okay, this is, it's just impossible. But what the, the model he created was this sense of leaders don't come um, in one shape, but they come in all shapes and all sizes. So in redemption, what's that meant is we really do value a growing level of diversity of all kinds, but we'll use this terminology of fairness is treating everybody differently. So when you're doing leadership development with somebody, you may do something for, for someone or give them counsel or critique them in ways that may make them, why don't you do this to everybody else? 
Well, because you're not everybody else. It's like parenting. You can't, if you do good parenting, you have multiple kids, you don't treat your kids all the same way because they don't all need the same thing. And you see Jesus um, all the times. And we were talking about this yesterday in John 7 is there's this weird section. Like at times he does miracles and then at other times he doesn't. And what's clear is he's very focused on the moment and the people in the moment. That at this moment, a miracle may be unloving and harm these people, where at another moment, it's the right thing to do um, in a moment, which means you have to be very in tune to God, intimacy, and very in tune to people. Love God and love neighbor. All right, next. Um, So as a statement of pouring into leaders, if you're going to work with young leaders, you need to have a very high pain threshold. So if you're going to work with young leaders, you have to have a really high pain threshold because their stupidity and they will almost always think they're smarter than you are. Like, if I did it, this would be way better. You know, I'm, I see the reality of this. They don't see it. So you're constantly dealing with their ignorance. You're dealing with their brashness. Um, you're dealing with their arrogance. I think it was Tom was the first person to tell me, there's a quote by J.C. Ryle, where J.C. Ryle says, I've never met an old man without, I'm, I'm sorry, I've never met a young man without arrogance or an old man without regrets. That's just totally true, right? Is in, so on a lot of times, the old men's regrets is their arrogance and what it created in their youth. Um, so just know that you have to, if you're gonna work with young leaders, you have to have a very high pain threshold So now, if you're being poured into, you will make a lot of mistakes. You will say and do stupid things, so be humble. You are arrogant, so work at humility. If you're being poured into, I promise you, you have things that you are convinced of right now. Just stop and go, but I know I'm stupid. Like, I know I don't have the experience. I know I don't have the, the expertise, so be humble. I said this already, but learning, I think a huge piece of humility and growing as a leader is to be as stupid as you really are. So like if you think about cross-cultural, I learned this through kind of cross-cultural intelligence training, is people want to walk into an environment with cultures and act like they know about them. And it's like you learn so much more if you just go, I'm just going to be as dumb as I really am and humbly ask questions like, hey, this might sound really stupid, but why do you wear that on your head? Like, why do you do this? Why is your wife's face covered and she can't go outside without a head covering? Why do you eat that? What is kosher? What is halal? Like, I learned through that. It's just going, just be stupid. And they appreciate it. But if you come in and try to act like you know what they do, and they're like, you have no clue. You'll never learn, and you won't develop a lifelong relationship. So that's true. I'm now talking even evangelistically. I mean, if... If you're engaging communities you don't know a lot about, the homosexual community, or you're dealing with older people, or you're dealing with young people, or you're dealing with people of other races, whatever these, whatever they are, just be willing to be as stupid as you really are. That's kind of the, as you're trying to develop as a leader. Here's the next um, one. If you're pouring into people, kind of taking the Paul role, lead from your experience, not from your knowledge. Now, I know I'm I'm a huge advocate that I would argue real knowledge comes from real experience, not from reading books. But talk about your experience. So you don't really know anything 
until you've done it, tried it, retried it, and gone, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true. That's why the Bible talks about there's wisdom in gray hair, that there's actually more lived experience of what you're doing. And this is one of the biggest problems in young leaders who've come out of theological education is they've read a lot, therefore they think they know a lot. That's not even biblically the way the Bible talks about knowledge. The Bible talks about knowledge as experience. So one of the most dangerous parts of leadership is speaking beyond our experience. I feel like if there's anything I could scream that I have begun to know is speak based upon what you really know, based upon your real experience, not based upon the last book you read, not based upon the things that you're certain of right now, but what like you've lived and known. Um, yeah, so your temptation. So I'll give you an example of this. We started a theological education program called the Missional Training Center. Some of you guys have been in it. And people will get in. It's kind of this program where all kinds of your paradigms are challenged, shaped, like the false foundations you have are just being kicked around. So there's all kinds of terminology people use. The furniture is being moved around your living room, whatever. And there'll be all these moments where people are like, what? Doggy head tilt, what, what? And then all of a sudden they go, they kind of get it. And then they want to go out that week in the Bible study they lead and talk about it. And I'm always like, just shut up. <laughs> like, don't say a word. Like, let it kind of settle do part of it, step back. Like you're, one of the best parts about leadership is learn to keep your mouth shut. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. You, <clears throat> what's amazing, just tactically, a, a huge piece of wisdom in that is when you shut up in a meeting or in an environment, people actually think you're smarter, not dumber. They're like, I wonder what that person thinks. I wonder what that person thinks. But it's giving you um, more knowledge in the midst of it. So your temptation's gonna be to take what you've learned and act like an expert. Hold your tongue, live your learnings, and then share it slowly. Hold your tongue, live your learnings, and share it slowly. Not fast. So if you're gonna develop leaders, you'll be pushed beyond your comfort zone. So if you're gonna develop leaders, you'll be pushed beyond your comfort zone. Now, if you're being developed as a leader, this is really true for young leaders, you will be in a hurry. <laughs> I know this was true of me, and I feel like God in his grace um, forced me to slow down. But now, being in an environment where we're developing leaders all the time, so like, I'll give you an example. If you have a young guy, and you're, I'll use church planting as an example, because we've been involved in church planting. You'll have a conversation with a young guy, or it could be a gal, um, in the midst of this thing, and you'll say, you know, well, you'll talk about the future of leadership. So if I use church planting, I have a conversation. Hey, have you ever thought about church planting? It's like the next day they've printed a business card, you know, with their name, church planter. And you're like, whoa, like, whoa, whoa. That is like, we mentioned the phrase church planting. We didn't determine you were a church planter. So there's that. Or when they get in the process, it's like, we got to start now. Why? Because I have all of these people who are ready to go and they're asking when we're going to start. Well, like, what people? How many people? You know, and then it's like, well, my two friends and their wives, right? And you're like, I, I promise you, like, if you do a good job, they'll still be around longer and you'll be actually ready to, to move. And so you have to, 
understand that, that you will be in a hurry. Be patient. Time is always your friend. I'll use one other illustration of this. When, I, when I'm around millennials that love experiences and they believe in Jesus, I'll always say to them, like, breathe. Like, you have an eternity to have these experiences. Like, Italy's not going away. Like, it's not going away. Like, in the kingdom fully realized, Italy's still there, right? Switch, and it's better than it is now. And you'll have more time to explore it. You'll have, but they honestly they feel like, I got to get these moments and I got to get them now. Um, and that's just a very true thing in our culture at large. And so <clears throat> know in the midst of this, if you're developing leaders, you'll be pushed beyond your comfort zone. But one of the greatest things you can do as a leader pouring into people is <clears throat> develop your own soul at a level to where you're not anxious. You don't have to take on their anxiety in the moment and you can go calm down. And then when they think you don't care about the mission, you can, Tom used to always say, Christ died for the church. You don't have to. Like, calm down, relax. God's got the whole world in his hands. And then when you're talking to them, you can say, be patient. Time is your friend. So it's a phrase, it's crockpot leadership. And leadership development is, it is crockpot. It's not microwave. This is why, candidly, I'm not a huge fan of <clears throat> churches or environments that go, we have a leadership development program. It's four months long, right? It's like, huh? Like, Say what you teach them in four months and call it that. But like if they think in the end I come out of it and that's what I am. I've always said this about like the challenge with seminary or theological education is people view it like they would architecture. Like if I go get a degree in architecture and I pass the exam, I'm an architect. And then they go, well, if I go to seminary and I graduate, I'm a pastor. It's like, well, no, you're not. Like that is, that's not true because you pass an ordination exam doesn't mean <clears throat> you're good at that. That real leadership is much more um, an ongoing process of becoming a leader. So understand this in leadership development. By definition, by definition, future leaders are not fully developed. By definition. But we get frustrated so often at like, how far away they are. Well, yeah, like that's the, the point. So by definition, future leaders are not fully, fully developed, which means you have to embrace tension. The tension of you want them to be somewhere that they're not actually. The desire of you you'd want to release things to them, you're not certain you can entirely release to them. Which means if you're being poured into, you have to fully embrace at the deepest levels, you're not a finished product ever ever. You're not a finished product. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. I've said that already. So now off of what I just said is <clears throat> leaders aren't by definition fully developed. Thanks a ton, Kimberly. Um, are not fully developed. How do you begin to develop leaders? Tom was masterful at that. Here's the statement. You have to assign meaningful tasks. You have to give them things that really matter. Leaders learn to lead by leading. Just like you learn to pray by praying. You learn to commune with God by communing with God. Not by being told what to do. You got to do it, which means leaders are developed by leading. You have to give them meaningful leadership and meaningful tasks. Which then means if you're a Timothy, the work you're being given is important. Take it seriously. No matter what it is, the work you're given is 
important, so take it seriously. I have only a few more. So here's the next thing in leadership development. As the one developing leaders, you have to be guardrails, not a wall. So many people say they want to be develop leaders, and they never do, and they wonder why, and it's because they're walls, not guardrails. Your leaders that, leaders that develop leaders aren't constantly looking for ways to say no. They're constantly looking for ways to say yes, and then they just go, yes, but do it this way. You're a little off track, go this way, but you're constantly saying yes, not looking for ways to say no, which then means if you're being poured into... Timothy, your mentors are there to protect you, so be coachable. If you're in a good, healthy way that this is happening, you have to know they're trying to protect me, guide me, make me better. Remember the definition of mentorship. A mentor helps the protege reach his or her God-given potential, which means you will be critiqued, which means you will be coached, which means if you're going to be developed, you have to be coachable and understand what they're giving up in order to pour into you. If you're developing leaders, be their cheerleaders. Like, you're the, be a cheerleader. When people are being poured into as leaders, any leader thinks more about what they're not doing right when they're at home alone or driving home in the car. They're discouraged with themselves. You have to be, if you're going to develop leaders, their biggest cheerleader. It's also what's going to keep them around. If they feel advocated for, they feel supported, uh, they feel poured into. That's what keeps them around. Even the best leaders, when they don't leave, that's why. If they feel like a ceiling's over them, if they feel like a wall's in front of them, if they feel like they're constantly being critiqued, and then you wonder why people are constantly leaving your ranks, uh, that's a huge way. So be a cheerleader. If you're being poured into, realize you need an advocate, so be faithful. If you have people advocating on your behalf, don't presume the grass is always greener. I'm telling you, I'm so I'm more aware now than ever how rare that is. Um, one of the most meaningful, this is pretty personal, but one of the most meaningful things I've recognized as of late or that Tom said to me in the last month is I was sitting at his house and he was, I don't even remember the context of the conversation, but I remember this vividly. And he said to me, you know, I'm around a lot of people that get really concerned with who you hang out with. So... I'll hang out with Catholics, I'll hang out with Muslims, I try to hang out with the homosexual community, I'll do all kinds of stuff. And he said, in their presumption, your hanging out with them means compromise. Like, that's what it is. And he said, I'm always telling people, Tyler won't compromise on anything. And I'm just, I'm telling you, like, for me, this sense of, like, that felt like I have an advocate, like someone who really understands what's happening, really understands, and it, it is so meaningful. And so the, the context is, if you have an advocate, be faithful. Like, they'll have moments, they frustrate you, they say things, you don't see things the same way, but when you have somebody standing by you that gets it and understands and advocating for you, even if at times they're critiquing you, like, hey, I think that's stupid, or I don't think that was clear enough, or I don't think that's a huge gift. So be faithful in the midst of that. Here's the other thing. If you're a leader now, you're currently designing and planning the organization that somebody else will inherit no matter what. So Tom used to always say uh, to the leaders at the time, the core leaders, a lot of the elders, he would say, we're either going to hand this to the next generation or they're going to pry it from our dead hands. (laughs) 
And his point was, why don't we prepare like we hand it to them rather than holding on to it like this? And in the end, they have to pry it from our dead hands because they're going to get it one way or another. And then he'd always say to them, let's make sure our past is a foundation, not an anchor, that it's something they can lead <clears throat> from. So you are designing and planning the organization they will inherit. So here's the so what. Give them a place at the table. He was masterful at this. Like, give people meaningful places at the table to actually give their voice, to lend their ears, all of those kinds of things, because it's going to be theirs, guaranteed. One way or another, it's going to be theirs. So here's the thing. If you're that person, you're being given a unique opportunity, so be respectful. Respect what you've been given, the place and the people who've given it to you. Here's the last one. If you don't do these things, you will lose good people and probably the best people you have if you don't do this. You will lose good people and probably the best if you don't do this. And here's if you're being poured into. You'll be a better human and a better leader in a better environment if you hang in there. So be loyal. This one, I feel like God graced me the ability to know because I can't tell you how many times I wanted to leave. Like, I wanted to be the first person to plant the church. I had my house on the market. Like, this is just true. I was going to plant a church in Phoenix before all my friends now who've planted a church in Phoenix. Like, all of these things happen, and God just kept going. And now I look at so many of my friends who ejected environments early, and they'll look at me like, gosh, it feels like you've really been stupid. And I swear it's because I was forced by the Lord to stay under wise people. And then, and that meant I was, I was forced to go, they're my bosses. Like they're what, and I had to sit in an environment in the crockpot leadership. So I just say that I'm not saying it's never, I'm not saying it's wrong to leave. I'm just saying don't, most people are always looking for the next thing rather than thinking, how do I bloom where I plant, you know, and this sense of there's a huge problem in our culture when people think 40 is over the hill. If you study any great leaders in the times at which they were the most successful, most successful, it's their 60s and 70s. That's fact, like absolute fact. But we live in a culture that goes, church planting's a young man's game, ministry's this, and people, once you're 40, you're over the hill, and you're thinking about retirement and kind of riding off into the sunset at 60. That's just, if you look at anybody, I mean, even in our culture, the Warren Buffetts of the world, the Howard Schultz's of the world, whoever you want to put out there, you're like, this is just true. Like the great people that you read and national leaders, like these almost to a person, not 100% of the time, but almost, it's not somebody that's 38 that's doing the things that then Winston Churchill, like he wasn't 38 when we're writing about him. Like, that's, that's just not true. So I say that to just challenge the notion of what this is and the sense of if you bloom where you're planted and you begin to tell leaders, you know, you tell a leader who's 28, like, you're really, really, really young. I'm going to meet with a leader next week, young guy. who's going through a really challenging situation in the, the church he's in. It's kind of this battle for leadership inside, which these happen all the time in organizations. And I keep saying to him, I think he's 26, maybe. And I keep saying, what you do now, if you do this wrong and you act like it's all and you defend yourself, it will, la it will stick to you forever. 
If you do it right and you sacrifice and are willing to give stuff up now, you think you got to fight for it. If you give it up now, everyone will remember how graciously you did that. And you've got decades ahead of you, decades ahead of you. But so many people think only um, in the moment. So this idea of um, bloom where you're planted, you'll be a better human and a better leader in an environment if you hang in there. So, all right. If you ask a question, I'll repeat it um, if they're keeping a recording and then we'll just kind of go for it. And if there's not a lot of questions, we'll get out early, which is not a problem either. Yeah, so the question is the pendulum swing. So if you take a couple decades ago, all the talk was leadership. And then there's this pendulum swing now that if you talk about it, kind of a, the way I'll say it is almost this like anti-institutional, anti-leadership, real flat uh, structures and don't want to talk about it. And I'll just say this, certainly part of that is the exposure of the lack of interior lives of so many leaders makes people go, this is all ridiculous. Like, they, it's all about power. It's all about money. It's all about... So I think that has to be acknowledged of why that shift begins to happen is there's an experience under those environments where I think the disconnection of leading an organization versus leading people became so strong that people began to say, what's well, that view of leadership that's ultimately the problem? I'll use a, there's a quote I, that's not even a quote, it's kind of a evaluation, but in the African Bible commentary, there's this um, statement in Titus chapter two, which is talking about generational pass down, so older women passing down to younger women. And the author in the African Bible commentary, if you're not familiar with that commentary, it's written by Africans entirely, makes a statement generally to the effect of if one generation passes down theological truth, this is a huge part of what you guys were talking about, theological truth to the younger generation, but fails to live it out. So they speak it, and it might even be true, but they fail to live it. The younger generation won't question the ethics, how their parents lived. They'll question the theology they'll go, well, what they believed is garbage. So even in leadership, I think you have all of these conversations of what leadership is, how to lead an organization, how to do this, and it leads people to go like, you're a pastor who has three staff people that can even talk to you. There's all of these channels that try to protect yourself, and pretty soon people are like, this is ridiculous. Like, this just feels wrong because it is wrong. So it's not necessarily that leadership is wrong. Leadership's inevitable. Like, Leadership's going to happen whether you talk about a flat structure or what. Like, it's impossible to not have leadership. The question is, is it good leadership? Um, and what's ultimately happening? So I do think there's a, a pendulum, and I think the only answer to that is real embodied relational leadership. I don't think it's getting up and trying to give an apologetic, a defense of leadership. I think it's like, actually lead. <laughs> like, actually do it. And when people taste it and touch it, they're like, this is just different. Um, hopefully that's helpful. George? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the question is, is spiritual or church leadership different than leadership in the marketplace? Um, I do a lot now in the marketplace with leaders, and a lot of it in reality is kind of based upon what's happened in redemption. As marketplace leaders see it, they'll sit down and go, they'll kind of give it a shot. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Here's a challenge I'm dealing with. 
I'll begin to go back through and talk to them about leadership. And it's gotten to a point, and this isn't to pat myself on the back, where they'll say, I'd love to bring you in to talk to my team, but I can't bring in my pastor to talk to my team. Like, it just doesn't work like that. And in the end, they'll be like, well, how did you get this? What did you think about? And I'll always look at them and I'll be like, Jesus is pretty wise. <laughs> and they'll sit there and go, and you hear even Christian leaders talk a lot. They're in the marketplace. Like, Jesus is great, and what he says is great, but, like, I have a bottom line. I have to do this. And so in the end, they go other places. Or you've heard even, I'm not trying to get crazy political here, but you've heard pastors in our country say, I'm not looking for Jesus to be the president of the United States. Right? And you go, well, that's interesting. Because if you believe this, he's the king of kings, right? Like, he's the leader of leaders. He's the president of presidents. So to say that's not what you're looking for, if you're a Christian, that's foolishness. Like, if he is, I mean, if you read the Proverbs and you go, wisdom in the Proverbs is personified. The way in which wisdom spoken of is a person. The person's Jesus. So you sit there and go, I think the challenge of the church is to begin to go, this, this sounds trite, but this secular, sacred, it's just not true. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the one who spoke creation into existence and upholds it with his power. Like, yes, you want to learn leadership, learn, learn Jesus. Like it is, so even that statement of you're supposed to be respected, not loved. I mean, candidly, I just go, that's a stupid statement. I mean, that's a, and you will lead. I mean, it's the whole, like, the old notion in business of like, Listen, your personal life's your personal life. It's not professional. Well, by every study now, they're going, that's impossible. And you know this experientially. Everybody brings their personal life. So it would be way better as a leader to have moments you were checking in in the marketplace, like, hey, how's your life? How's your family? How's your, and not go, well, that's what pastors do. No, that's what people do. Like that re if leadership is moving somebody into their highest level, we'll take the whole human person and do that. So I think a huge opportunity for the church of the future is not to do seminars that say how to lead like Jesus, but like we're going to talk about how to lead wisely. And then we talk about all this stuff and people go, where did you get that? And then you can go, well, Jesus, like that's, but you can articulate it in a way that they go, this is absolutely incredible, uh, which can happen all over, all over the place and all the time. Um, and you see this, I mean, even in the most conflicting of times in the Bible. There are these moments where Joseph, seeking to obey God, rises to power. Daniel rises to power. Well, it isn't just because there was some supernatural moving of events. It's because they're in communion with God, who is the wise one who gives them wisdom. You know, there's a, a, I have a, one of my favorite stories is the story of George Washington Carver. You know, he's came up with however absurd many things to do with a peanut, and he was asked to testify before Congress. Um, and one of the congressmen said, Mr. Carver, how in the world did you learn to do this many things with the peanut? And George Washington Carver's answer was, well, sir, I asked the God who made the peanut what to do with it, and he told me. And people laugh and think that's ridiculous, but it's like, if we believe in a personal God, and this is relational, and he's a God whose word matters, and he's speaking all the time to uphold creation, why would you not ask him what to do with the peanut that he upholds by the word of his power? Like, that kind of, that's intimacy trumps it. Like, that's just true. Like, it's, ab so I don't, I don't, I don't buy the separation at all. And I think, I want to emphasize this again, I think a huge evangelistic opportunity is for us to seek God about the problems culture has, not just big social problems, but even like 
corporate problems, small business problems, and go, Lord, what would you say to do about these things? You know, so there's, I was meeting with a guy who owned a very small business, uh, food in the food industry. He owns a series of them. Um, and he was saying one of the biggest problems is retention of the employees or the employees caring enough because they employ a lot of, you know, young millennials. I said, well, which ones are doing really well? Like which of the clients, he said, the ones that grew up in the neighborhood that they're working in seem to do way better. So then you begin to extrapolate, well, why would that be, right? They know the people that are coming in, they serve them more like family or like neighbors in the midst of it and whatever. Well, could that be, you know, trained or walked through? If you cared for them, showed them how to care for them in the midst of it and then posing on caring, well, all these things happen. It's like, it's basically the principle of like, do business. So customer first business is love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it is. Like, how would I want to be treated? Let's treat people the way I would want to be treated. So sorry, I didn't mean to give a whole lecture on that, but yes. So how would you answer a leader that you see in them something and they would say, I'm not <clears throat> ready yet. I think I would start, my father's a coach and he'd always talk to me and, um, Things that used to sound trite to me now sound amazing. But he'd always talk to me, speak to somebody in a positive sandwich. So like start with an affirmation. Well, that's interesting. I see leadership in you. And I don't think you're ever going to get ready but by act. So meaning you start like I see leadership in you positive. And then you go, what you think is not ready, I think might just be fear. And your fear is justified. I totally get that. I understand that. I understand it could be schedule, but I think there's something in you that needs to be brought out that will only be brought out by you beginning to take the steps. And then I'd say something like, what I promise you is I won't throw you in the deep end of the pool, but let's walk through what are the next five steps? Like, I, I think you should do this. I think you should do this. I don't think you should do this. Another thing I may say in the midst of it is like, well, what do you think would make you ready? Like, what's the reason you're not ready? Because they may say, I'm not ready because right now I'm in school. I have three kids at home. I'm a single mom. I'm what? And you may go, wow, I didn't know all that. You really, that's true. You really aren't ready. So like, let's talk when you're done with school or you're in these things. Or that may be, hey man, especially if it's a church, there may be people that can help lighten your load in order to, to get into it. So I'd want to know what they mean by not ready. But most of the time, I think when people say that, it's just a a fear and it's a lack of confidence in themselves. And then I think I'd be very personal. Like I've felt that way too. If you're, re if you're really doing leadership, you never feel fully up to the task, which is why you need God's power to do it. That kind of thing. 